All right, let's look at our scripture that can be found on the back of the bulletin. Uh, this is John 16, 4 through 15. Christ is going to the cross. They have left the upper room in the Last Supper, and Jesus is giving some last instruction before he is arrested. And this is what he says. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. I want to open this sermon with a question. If you could have anything or anyone, a relationship with anyone in the world, who or what would you choose? Perhaps some of you would choose a Mercedes E-Class. If you did, you would be wrong. Perhaps you would say the most valuable thing for me to have is a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have Jesus Christ. I mean, that's always the correct answer when you're in Sunday school, isn't it? So why not now? But I would actually say that that answer is wrong. That the most important thing to have in the world is the Holy Spirit. Because when you have the Holy Spirit, you get Jesus and so much more. Because in the Holy Spirit, you receive all that Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. See, this is why Jesus said, it is for your good that I go away. And the disciples must have been flummoxed when they heard that. And we as well. What could be more important than having, than being with Jesus Christ? The answer is Jesus Christ and the Father through the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. And if you have not yet given your heart to Christ, he is available, the Spirit, for you today. So what we're going to talk about is how to take full advantage of what the Holy Spirit gives us. In this passage, we see that the Holy Spirit provides three different things. He is a spirit of transformation, a spirit of conviction, and a spirit of revelation. You see, we have not received the spirit from the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may walk in what God has freely given us. So let's look at these three points of 
what the Holy Spirit has done for us. Number one, he provides us with a spirit of transformation. Look at verse four. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus, in talking about these things, is talking about the persecution that is to follow. He will be arrested and the disciples will be hunted down. And he's telling them, do not be surprised that this is going to happen. Now he says, I did not say these things with you when I was with you from the beginning. See, because Jesus was with them, he was able to absorb the opposition of the world, to stand in the way of it. But he's communicating to them that you are going to receive that now, and I don't want you to be surprised at this. He goes on, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? They actually, Peter, I believe, actually did ask in John 13, where are you going? But he asked it kind of like a child asked the question, where are you going? Which really translated is, why are you leaving me? See, the disciples aren't thinking about the implications of what is going on behind Jesus leaving. And so Jesus wants to explain that to them. So he says in verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus is saying, I tell you the truth. It's a way of giving an explanation. You need to hear this, disciples. It's to your advantage. Jesus, are you telling me that it's better that you're not with me? The disciples are saying, and we certainly are wondering the same thing. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was right here physically with us? But you see, Jesus wants to give us more than just his presence. And the reality is, unless we have the Holy Spirit, our interaction with Jesus, even physically, is limited. Sometimes by the nature of my job, I have to go and do uh, prison visits. And it's very interesting. You know, you see the prison visit on TV, but it, it's a little bit different when you go and uh, visit someone in prison now. Rarely do you get to actually see them. You well, you see them, but you see them via video screen. Because you sit down, you pick up the phone, the video screen pops, and you're able to interact with them and talk with them, but you're not able to truly be with them. And of course, there are all sorts of limits on your visit with them, right? You can't visit them whenever you want. It's once a week. Because the reality is, one person is in prison, and the other person is free. The reality is we can never truly be together until both are free. See, what Jesus is saying behind all of this is, you are still in prison. And your ability to truly relate with me intimately and to understand what I have for you and who I am to you, you cannot have until I do this work on the cross. I mean, think of their relationship with Jesus, even as he's physically in their midst. It's characterized by misunderstanding, 
Right? The disciples are always going, what did he say? What do you mean? What, what are you talking about? It's characterized by distrust. Like when they're in the boat and the storm's coming and Jesus is right there sleeping and they say, don't you care that we're going to drown? It's very interesting. It says here in Mark 651 that when he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased, oh, this is when he's walking on the water. They were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. See, the hearts of us are hard and don't have the capacity to receive the love and the intimacy of Jesus Christ until we receive the Spirit. I remember hearing a story about the great uh, boxer Jack Dempsey. And Jack Dempsey was out doing his road work one day. He was out running and getting in shape. And as he ran by a lake, he saw a man fishing. And he stopped to watch him. And just about every time the man cast his fish, his uh, uh, line in the lake, he was pulling out a fish. But he saw something that amazed him. All of the big fish that this man caught, he threw back. But all of the little fish that the man caught, he kept. Dempsey said, I've never seen anything like this. Why are you throwing back the, the big, juicy fish? And why are you keeping these smaller fish? And the man said, well, my frying pan is only this bag. So I, I, I'll only be able to fit the smaller fish. See, that's what Jesus is communicating here to the disciples and communicating to us. Your frying pan is only this big. In fact, there's no frying pan at all without the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And when he's speaking of the helper, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Remember before in John 14 that he had said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The Spirit of truth who the world cannot receive. But you know him, for he will dwell with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is going to make us suitable for his indwelling presence. And where is he going? He's going to the cross to suffer for our sins. He's going to the tomb to take our sentence upon himself. So that we would be rendered righteous and he guilty. And he is going to be raised from the tomb. Resurrected. As the scripture says in Romans 4.25. That he was delivered over to death for our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. And so the reason he was raised is God is communicating to Jesus that I accept your sacrifice. That I only have favor for you. That there is no wrath for you who had become sin for us. And so through Jesus, to his followers, because of the work of Jesus, there is only righteousness and favor. I appreciate Romans 6, 3 that says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore with him buried by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, what Jesus is saying is the reason I am leaving you is because I'm going to accomplish this work of making you a holy habitation for my presence. And I'm going to heaven in order to transfer to you through the Holy Spirit all that I have accomplished. I appreciate the words of John Calvin, the theologian, who said, we must now examine this question. How do we receive those benefits which the Father bestowed on his only begotten Son? Not for Christ's own private use, but that he might enrich poor and needy men and women. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. So it is the spirit that brings us to life and makes us suitable to receive Christ. When I married my wife, Liellen, in 1994, by virtue of the legal union that I received by becoming married to her in a court of law, all of the blessings and the benefits that she had became mine, and mine became hers. What Jesus is saying is that I want to have a living union with you through the Holy Spirit, which I am sending to you. The entire Bible is leading up to what Jesus has accomplished for us. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove this heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that I will put in you. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah talked about in 31, 34. That I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from first to last. And I will remember their sins no more. See, on the day of Pentecost... All of the blessings and benefits of what Jesus Christ has accomplished and who he was were sent through the Holy Spirit to his people. Now, not only was Jesus with the disciples and those 3,000 believers, he was in them. Remember, all of those disciples were scattered throughout the world to preach the gospel. If Jesus was still here on earth physically... He could only go with one of them, right? But through the Spirit, he goes in and with all of them. And in the same way, he does that with us. You see, my friends, the same Spirit that was sent to those disciples 
has been sent for us. If you are a Christian, you have been justified in Christ, indwelt by him through the Holy Spirit, raised to life, and given a new position as son and daughter of Christ. If Christ is in you, he's closer to you than any human being could possibly be. So my question for you is this. How big is your frying pan? A lot of us live under condemnation. We believe that Jesus does not want us. That we're always failing. That we're never enough. That he would never come in with all of his blessings and benefits to inhabit and indwell me. We have believed Satan's lie that you are not worthy, that you are not holy, that you haven't changed. But all that Christ has done, if you are a Christian, he has applied to you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The accomplishment of his perfect life his sinful, sinless life has been applied to you. His record and your standing with the Father is identical to that of his standing, a son and daughter of God. The prison walls are gone and there is unfettered access to the Father. So Jesus is saying to us and I am saying to you to live in your identity. What do you base your life on? What validates you? Is it my goodness or all that I have achieved? Is it my reputation in the community or the children that I have? If you're living by these things, you're still living in a prison, even if the door is open. For Jesus wants us to rest in our true identity as beloved son and daughter, righteous in Christ. For he came that we might have life and have it to the full. We have received a spirit of transformation that we may walk in what God has freely given us. But we also, and the world also, has received a spirit of conviction. This is the second point. In verse 8, Jesus says, And when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the Spirit comes to extend the ministry of Jesus, to convict the world of its sin and righteousness and judgment. And why does the Spirit do this? We need to understand that Jesus is the final revelation from God, the full revelation from God. And the one who has come to secure salvation for all who believe in him. And now the process has begun of Jesus calling forth his children into his kingdom. The Bible says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And the Holy Spirit is now functioning to awaken people to the gospel. To alert them to the danger of not responding to the gospel. See, I believe when this says the spirit goes out into the world, that the spirit is functioning in a general sense throughout the world, 
pricking the conscience and heart of peoples. And it also goes out and accompanies the preaching of the gospel. Now, how does the Spirit do that? See that it convicts and he convicts in three different ways. Number one, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The Spirit convicts the world of sin. And his convicting work is gracious. It's designed to show people that, uh, to recognize their need and turn to Jesus. And we see this almost automatically in, in the book of Acts, for instance, on Pentecost. The Spirit has come and Paul, uh, Peter is preaching and he says, Let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The Spirit cut them to the heart. And, it said, and Peter preaches the gospel of what they are to do. And it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. But not all responded by choosing to follow Jesus. See, the conviction of the Holy Spirit goes out throughout the world. But some resist the Holy Spirit. It's what Stephen says in Acts 6, right? You resist, you stiffen up people, you resist the Holy Spirit. See, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the world knows in its heart of hearts that there is a right and there is a wrong. And they are in the wrong. But some refuse to acknowledge it. Now, the question I have before you is this. Am I to play the role of convicting people of their sin? The answer is no. See, some of us believe that we have a role to, to be the moral police, if you will, going to people who are not believers and showing them all that they are doing wrong. Now, I do believe we are to advocate for what is good and true in the world. But it is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. And it is the responsibility of Christians to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean we don't talk about sin at all when we're sharing about Christ? No, I'm not saying that. But we never divorce it from the good news because the Holy Spirit has been sent to convict the world of sin. Jesus continues on talking about the Holy Spirit that he goes to convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Holy Spirit serves to show the hypocrisy of the world and its false righteousness. This is what Jesus did in his ministry on the earth, remember? When he talked about the Pharisees and their hypocrisy and their false righteousness. Remember in Luke 13 when Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. And, a, and the priest there says there are six days to be healed. So come on one of those days. And Jesus says, you hypocrite. Don't you even take your donkey and lead it out to water it? And shall not? God free this woman who has been bound by Satan for so many years? The Holy Spirit now does that work that Jesus does. He convicts the world of righteousness, of what is true and godly. 
And he uses Christians very often to do so. See, my friends, this is why it's so important that we watch how we live. Jesus' followers, who empowered by the Holy Spirit, lived their lives in conformity to Christ, have that same impact as the Holy Spirit comes alongside them. Didn't Jesus say, a new command I give you? Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all the world will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. How will all the world know that you are my disciples? The conviction of the Holy Spirit, of the righteousness of God. It's interesting. I don't know if you have studied much the history of hospitals. Gary Fengren, PhD, made the point most emphatically in his recent historical survey in which he wrote, the hospital was, in origin and conception, a distinctly Christian institution rooted in Christian concepts of charity and philanthropy. There were no pre-Christian institutions in the ancient world that served the purpose of Christian hospitals that they were created to serve. For example, Harvard University's Massachusetts General Hospital was instigated by John Bartlett, a Christian pastor who served as chaplain for a charity to the poor in Boston known as the Alms House. It was Reverend Bartlett who cast the vision to a group of doctors to begin practicing in one place so that they could care for many impoverished people in one place. See, as we seek to live out the righteous life of Christ through his power, God uses that to show the world that there is righteousness. There is a standard of how we are to live. We are to be living examples. So the question I have for you is, how is your life? How are you doing taking up this mantle to be the hands and feet of Christ? How we live matters. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And finally, it says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. See, Satan was the ruler of mankind. Man gave away his authority, and Satan became the prince of this world. And as such, he convinces the world of a false judgment, that there's no judgment from God. All is well, all is fine. Keep doing what you're doing. But as Jesus says in John 12, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. You see, the cross doomed Satan to ultimate expulsion from the world. And though he is still active and desperate, he is the ruler of this age only until God enforces the judgment of the cross. The Holy Spirit has gone out to convict the world that there is a judgment, that they are answerable to the God who made them. It is with the Spirit's conviction that he opens people's eyes to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, why is Jesus telling 
his disciples and us this. He wants us to know that we're not alone. See, he's given us a mission to share Christ. But we think people will not listen. They don't want to hear this message. But the Holy Spirit goes before us and convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He opens their eyes so they can receive the good news and be reborn in Christ. I remember hearing the story of Tech Sergeant Giselle Rodriguez who delivered a baby. The problem is she didn't know anything about labor and delivery. She was coming out of the hospital and walking down the street when this man flagged her down frantically. His wife was in the car, in the back seat, and it was time, and he didn't know what to do. Well, she didn't know what to do either. But as she circled around for a second, she finally said, let's do this. And with her limited experience, got in the back seat and with no prior training in labor and delivery, helped that baby to be born. See, Jesus is calling us to go out into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And his Holy Spirit goes out before us. The truth of the matter is most people in this world don't like themselves. They feel the conviction of sin and judgment and righteousness. Now, everybody looks fine on the outside, right? But in the inside, when they lay their head on the pillow, there is no answer. I don't know if you remember that feeling. I do, before I became a Christian at age 18. What Jesus is saying is that you just need to be willing. How do we get close to people? It's through the love of Jesus Christ. So how do you see people? Plagues to be avoided? Problems to be solved? Or people to be loved? Be available. Be willing. And be loving. Finally, the spirit is a spirit of revelation. Jesus says to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you. But you can't bear them. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into truth, for he will take what is mine, and he will make it known to you. See, Jesus continue, intends to continue his relationship in a new and deeper way with his disciples through the Holy Spirit. For he will guide them, and he will guide us into all truth. See, Jesus is the supreme point of revelation, of God's self-disclosure. And it's the spirit that will lead us into all the implications of this truth. The revelation intrinsically bound up with Jesus Christ by fleshing out the implications of who Jesus is. It is Christ who is in us through the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me, it says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit does not take his pupils beyond the cross, but ever more deeply into it. You know, the apostles, for the apostles, knowing Jesus 
was crucial, for they wrote the Bible, right, or supervised the writing of the Bible. Now we have those scriptures. But the question is, does Jesus still speak to us today? The answer is yes. It's the same spirit of truth. Some Christians speak of a personal encounter with Jesus as if this were a one-time matter. This is a tragic confusion of an introduction and a relationship. A first encounter is just that. But what God longs for us to experience is intimate knowing that comes by means of an ongoing relationship. You know, when you came to Jesus Christ, there's so much more that he wanted to communicate to you, but you couldn't bear it. But now Jesus wants to continue guiding us into all truth of who he is and who we are. My son is a vegetarian, and so when we grill out, we get something that's called Beyond Burgers. Could one ever get Beyond a burger. It's a substitute, right? In the same way, we can substitute knowing about God for knowing God. Many of the things we know about God, we know objectively, accepting them as facts on the trusted testimony of scriptures. And this is important and good, for they serve as an anchor in times of doubt. But Jesus doesn't want us just to know about him. He wants us to know him. See, there are four groups of people here listening to my voice. Number one, those who are seeking to know who this Jesus is. And we're so glad that you're here. Number two, Christians who never seek to spend any time with Jesus and are all the poorer for it. Number three, Christians who read the Bible to learn about Jesus, but never actually take that next step about seeking to know him. And there are finally those who talk to Jesus intimately and personally as a friend. You know, one of my favorite parts of the day is waking up in the morning and going out to my treehouse. And I often, my Bible's right next to me, but it's closed. And I just sit there and watch the trees, and watch the movement, and listen and feel for the presence of God. Does that mean I never open my Bible? No, of course I do. But for many of us, we know plenty of the Bible already. It's the Bible that leads us to Jesus Christ. So my challenge and encouragement for you is to learn to listen for his presence. All that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross and brought to us through his Holy Spirit, he wants us to know the fullness of his love and his presence. Jesus says, excuse me, the scriptures say, God says, you will seek me and find me with all when you seek me with all of your heart. I need to close. I've been rambling. So I finish with this point that we have not received the spirit from the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may walk in what God has freely given us. He's a spirit of transformation, a spirit of conviction, and a spirit of revelation. 
Let us embrace all that Jesus has for us, for it is without limit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are in heaven, interceding for us with the Father. And through the Holy Spirit, you and the Father reside in our hearts closer than anyone could. And you have taken away our sin that we might know you in a deep and intimate way. God, let us pursue you with all of our hearts, moment by moment, day by day, as you reveal to your, yourself to us in new and living ways. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.